0: So we made it back to podcast number two. Uh, you know, in the first one, obviously, we need to figure out some kinks here and there um, and some recording levels. And we're still playing with it, so I appreciate everybody being cool and giving me uh, really positive feedback, so thanks for that. Today, we're going to be talking about how to distinguish, or let me back up. Let's call it the evolution of the polisher. That is the actual thing that I wrote down, that it sounds really cool. Um, basically, we're going to talk about how the polisher became um, advanced over time, everything from the rotary up to the forced rotation, up to the roofs. And I'll give you my, uh, you know, opinions on there enough where you can uh, decide for yourself what, what you're trying to accomplish and what's the best tool to do that with. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then coming up later on in the podcast, we're going to be talking with Zach Clapman from the smoking tire. Uh, really, uh, really good friend of mine. Um, and he's really witty and, and smart guy and knows a lot about cars um and he's he's just uh he's, he's just a good guy so um we're gonna have him mike Musso, and a bunch of other guys uh, rotating through um uh, maybe put them together and we'll have a um a multiple person call so we're having fun we're playing around with this stuff uh i spoke with him before and we were having a little bit of issue with the internet um you know back and forth on skype so if he cuts in and out just bear with it this is just uh how we're gonna how we're going to roll the next uh, couple podcasts here and, and make sure it's working. But um, in the meantime, we—I am. people are really downloading the podcast. I'd never thought in a million years people would actually download it. Um, but uh, again, I really appreciate it. So let's stop yapping and get right into it because I know we're probably going to be chatting with Zach forever because we can just talk about random stuff. But it's good. I like the way that we're sort of setting this up and we're feeling everything out and seeing what goes here and what goes there. But essentially, I talk about you know, a bunch of detailing nerdy stuff for a while. And um, and I think it's nice to take an, a break and, you know, and, and chat about cars in general, because it's important, you know, as a detailer, you know, you're not just always worried about the paint you are, but you're also worried about the car and you want to be able to talk to your customers and you want to be able to go out for drives with people. And you want you want to be a connoisseur of the industry uh, and then be an expert at, you know, what we're talking about here, which is detailing cars and you got to be able, especially, you know, for you business guys out there, you got to be able to feel confident when you're talking to a customer and look them dead in the eye and say X, Y, Z or whatever you're, you know, whatever you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exactly saying sales or whatever, but you want them to know that, Hey, this guy is a car guy. And I felt like that's, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions and then, you know, we're going to answer some questions at the end of the podcast. But, you know, one specifically that I get from new business owners is, you know, how do you. How do I price this? And how do I do this? And, you know, those are all topics for another podcast. But, you know, what it really boils down to is confidence, making sure that you're practicing and you know, you know, uh, you know, how to properly buff paint and all these other things. But it's, it's really when the customer comes in or your friend or anybody, you want to give them that sense of, wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. I trust what he's saying. He's a trustworthy guy, first of all. But I've seen his work. He's, you know, a good person, et cetera, et cetera um and it really boils down to confidence. So um so we're just going to keep going on uh and, and chatting about a few things but the, the polisher you know I like to we're sort of going around the edge of detailing right now because there's so many things to talk about. I don't I don't want to just say this is the best wax and this is because it, it doesn't work that way. I, you know, I wish it I wish it you know did um but it doesn't. That's why there's tons of different, you know, brands and and different mixtures and things out there because it's really up to the person behind the scenes and you, you know, you read and you practice and then you make your own decision. So like I said, today, we're talking about the evolution of the polisher. And I, I think it's important to know, um, just like we did on last week's podcast, um, you know, the history behind, uh, you know, microfiber, it, it makes you think a little bit more and it makes you, um, appear, which you are to the customer or your friend or yourself, uh, more, uh, I guess you can say more intelligent, but it's really confidence. It comes down to that. So we'll hit that in another podcast whenever I get some notes together. But um, all right, let's 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 do this. Evolution of the polisher. All right, right off the bat, let's just start from X amount of years ago. Um, let's call it pre-clear coat. So single-stage paint. What is single-stage paint? Essentially, and again, I can get 5,000 emails from Body Shop Guys, but I'm being very broad here, is it was a mixture of paint and clear coat type properties together in one coating so you would guy would spray paint and basically all that would come out in one shot again i'm being very broad so it's just all of it in in one basically mixed together shot on the car what happened was it was very very thick so you you look at old paint it tends to be thicker when you're underneath a, um, a paint depth gauge so i'm setting the stage for talking about the polisher and how they advance. So if the technology right now is single stage paint, we need to have machines that can address that. And what we first came out with years ago, obviously um, I know Mike Phillips actually, uh, you know, Mike Phillips from auto geek, really nice guy. He actually has the first uh, polisher, you know, that he's ever used or whatever. And it's so old and so heavy. And he brings it around to, to show as a great example, like, Hey, look, look how we've advanced. And I think that's pretty cool. So, um, okay, the rotary polisher. Now, the rotary polisher is what we call a direct drive. What that means is, all it's fancy words for you pull the trigger, that thing is going to just keep cooking, whether you're you're on an edge or you're not or whatever. That thing is just going to keep plowing away. And direct drive means it goes into one area. It's one shot. So off the axle, meaning off the, um, you know, uh, the threads there, right off that drive. It's just going to put pressure, and that's it. So. It's just going to spin. It's not super complicated. And that worked really great because we had single-stage paint. Single-stage paint, um, you know, there would be a thing called paint transfer. So when you were sanding it down, I'm sanding it down. Let me back it up. When you were polishing the car, essentially you're sanding it down. Uh, You know, polish and compounds are basically liquid sandpaper. That's another uh, conversation we'll get into in a little bit. But when you're using that machine, what you're doing is you're taking off bits of mills, you know, little microscopic, basically layers of this single stage paint. What would happen is that whatever the color was, red, black, green, whatever, would transfer onto your pad, right? So you needed some big machines and you needed strength. That's what a rotary polisher is. Now, a lot of the analogies that I use, especially in the season two of Drive Clean, we talk about the scalpel versus the butter knife. Now, a rotary polisher is a scalpel. What that means is, in the, in the hands of an expert, it's unbelievably useful and powerful, but in the hands of someone who doesn't know what they're doing, it's going to be, you know, all no pun intended, a bloody mess. Uh, you know, it's just going to be a nightmare. Just, you know, give somebody a scalpel and it's just, it's not good. So that's how I sort of, I don't know, that's sort of how I think of a rotary polisher. Do I now? the answer is do it, or the question is, do I, do I have one? Yeah. I have like three or four of them that I carry around with me all the time because there are situations that I need it. Now I know. Um, you know, Mike Phillips is a big fan of this again. Um, and I think, and I think he's got a good point is, you know, you use a rotary polisher because it can, again, in the right hands, save you a ton of time, especially when you're wet sanding. I know he specializes in, 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 taking care of, uh, show car finishes and things like that. So, um, I think for teaching purposes, meaning a novice, a weekend warrior, obviously that's not going to be the one to go to, but for somebody, um, you know, like me or like Mike or, you know, a bunch of the other pros out there. Um, you know, a rotary is really great. And in fact, I used one on a plane the other day because it was so bad that I had to wet sand the whole plane down. And in theory, you can use a DA or you can use a forced rotation or you can use a roops polisher and it will come out. But think of it this way. It's like, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta dig a hole. And if you're going to dig a hole, you can do it with a backhoe. You can do it with a shovel, or you can do it with a spoon. Now, at the end of the day, can you dig a hole with a spoon and have a have a six-foot hole? Of course, you absolutely can. It's just going to take you more time, right? Can you dig it with a shovel? No doubt about it. It's just going to take you more time. And what about a backhoe? Yeah, bang. Well, you know, one big scoop, and you get it. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is rotary polishers aren't evil. They're just very specific to, in my opinion, one thing, which is to remove Heavy, heavy wet sanding. Now, do I do that all the time? No. So let's go back to the digging analogy. What if I have a $2 million car that's underneath the earth, right? Like archaeology. So when you see them digging archaeology, in our analogy, we're using a car or whatever, but let's say it's a dinosaur bone or whatever they do down there. What are they doing? Are they using a backhoe? No, they're definitely not using a backhoe. Are they using a shovel? No. Maybe a little bit in the beginning, but not really. What are they using? They're using paint brushes, right? To just barely swipe away like the dirt that's on the bones or whatever. That's that's what I, I you know I think of when I'm doing a very expensive car or a car that means the world to me. I don't mind taking that extra time because the bone or the paint in this particular example is very valuable to me. Whether it is in fact valuable to the mar- open market, meaning two million dollars, or it's my car, I don't mind taking it a little bit slower because. I want to make sure everything is perfect. Now, switching over again on this plane that I did, yes, it's a very expensive plane or whatever, but it's I my thing is when I'm teaching people or I'm talking, I say, hey, how much real estate is on this thing that you're doing? A plane has a lot of real estate, meaning like a Cadillac. It's just got a lot of real estate versus a mini where there's not that much paint. So for me to use a brush, I'm using air quotes here. You can't see me because I'm on a podcast, but uh, for me to use a brush would just take me forever with a plane. So I'd much rather use a backhoe, which again is a rotary polisher. So we talked a lot about a rotary polisher. I just want to make sure that you can kind of hop inside my head here and figure out when is it when is it good to use, when is it not good to use. At the end of the day, if you're a weekend warrior, you have a newer car, I would say leave, leave the rotary polishers out. They are a little bit more advanced, but they are amazing in the right hands and in the right circumstances. All right. Let's move on to the next one. So, you got the rotary polisher. I use a Makita. Uh, I have a Festool Shine X, also, really great, really smooth. And kind of one of the tips that uh, this is not here nor there, but one of the tips if you do have a rotary polisher and you're listening and you're a, uh, a pro detailer or want to be a pro detailer, you know, the, the Festool Shine X um, really goes low. So, you get low, like I think it goes to 400 or 600 RPM. So, when you're looking for a rotary, I mean, the Makita is the go to, man. That thing's been around for years and it, I've had it for years and it's, it's great. Um, but you want to have a, the slowest speed possible. Um, so that, that's kind of one of the little tricks that I look for One, I'm looking for a rotary, which I don't think I'll, I'll buy one anymore or hope not. If this doesn't, uh, is going to last forever. I just know it's a good machine. All right. So one of the things that a rotary, uh, one last little tip here, one of the things that a rotary, uh, has a byproduct of, and I, I can, I can probably talk uh, forever about this, but everybody talks about heat. Heat is a byproduct of buffing. Now, the question is, do you want heat or do you not want heat? Now, heat is basically a, a, a like I said, a byproduct that you don't necessarily want. That's why wet sanding is always really great, um, introducing some water. Why? Because it cools down the actual panel. So a lot of people say, hey, you have to generate heat. You have to generate heat. Well, that's not necessarily true. You don't want to generate the heat. It is a. It is a... I'm not going to go so far as to say evil, but it's a byproduct that you don't really want. Why? Because when you're using that rotary and you're generating that heat, if you guys remember back in that episode that I did on my little private channel, my m o n y c d o t c o m m o n y c dot com uh, on YouTube, if you go to that and I did the two million, two million dollar, no, the one million dollar Ferrari. Um, wow, I'm confusing million dollar Ferraris. That man, that that's really cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, uh, that that's I I love my job, but. Um, so the $1 million Ferrari that I did, I talked about heat transfer and different panels and the heat absorption rates that really comes into play, um, for the five of you that are understanding where I'm going with this. Um, uh, it really comes into play, um, when you're talking about different panels, especially when you're using a rotary, that's why I didn't use a rotary on that. Um, so Hopefully you guys are sticking with me. I'm getting completely nerdy. I want to turn the nerd factor up. So again, if you have any questions on any of this stuff, shoot me an email, larryamonyc.com with questions. um, And definitely hit up the Facebook page um, to, uh, to, to, to ask some questions for this later section, uh, later session. All right. So we talked about that. So essentially if you, you know, long and short of it is if you put the rotary pad on its side, you pull the trigger, it's going to blow through the paint, cause too much. It could cause a lot of heat and blow right through. So buyer beware on that one so what happens is now if we're going through this technology so manufacturer said all right let's let's you know the paint is is advancing and we're going to use fewer and fewer mills because we're going to make which basically makes it harder uh, not harder makes it more dangerous i should say i was gonna say harder for detailers but so as manufacturers are getting uh i'll use this word nicely but uh cost efficient or aka cheap they're trying to Um, be very cautious with their money and they don't want to put too much paint on thousands and thousands and thousands of cars. You know, one mill is going to really add up just like one penny over every person who's, you know, at bank of America or whatever that that's like a billion dollars or whatever. So they tried to minimize the amount of mills. And what happens is when you have the rotary and you have less mills, you're generating a lot of heat. You're blowing through the paint. Everybody's getting angry. So what happened is the market said, Hey, this is what's going on here. We need to make a new machine that's more friendly to the weekend warriors. The body shop guys, those are experts. And by the way, if they blow through paint, they can just repaint it. That's kind of a beauty thing about a body shop. You can push the envelope. You make a mistake. You got to repaint. It's a pain in the butt, but you can still do it. So what they came out with was the dual action polisher. Not you know, not a massive surprise there. The dual action polisher basically has a little clutch inside the housing that if you push it on its edge, remember I talked about the rotary on the edge, it's gonna burn through. If you push it on the edge of the dual action polisher, it's not gonna do anything. It's just gonna shake. So, with that mentality, we're gonna get a little nerdy into this and we'll keep going on to the um the you know, the the progression of these machines. But I think it's important to just kind of let my brain you know flow out and, and spew all this stuff at you guys right now. But so if you put that on its edge, what you're going to have is this like really weird little shaking noise. And if you watch a lot of the videos, you'll see me, I'll take use a Sharpie on the backing plate. It's usually yellow for some reason, but whatever. Whatever your color your backing plate is, use something else. But if it's yellow, use a black Sharpie and put it about a little bit bigger than a half an inch, let's call it, so you can see it. And then if, as the dual action polisher is spinning, 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 and oscillating at the same time, spinning, oscillating at the same time, uh, what's going to happen is that black mark on the backing plate is going to spin, and it's going to spin, and it's going to spin. But if you catch an edge, right, remember the rotary you burn through, now if you catch the edge, it's going to stop. That black mark is just going to sit there and shake. So this is the nerd part. So if you're polishing the paint, it's perfectly flat, and you push too hard, And that thing isn't spinning. That black mark is not spinning at a certain rotation. It's going to be hard for me to explain how fast the rotation is on a podcast. I can do it on a video. But basically, if that thing isn't spinning, you're not doing anything on the paint. That's the moral of the story. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to push and get more pressure. And, you know, obviously it depends on the pad and depends on all these other factors that we're not going to go into today. But if you push and and you have so much pressure that that black mark is not moving, you're literally doing absolutely nothing to your paint. It's... You're... I can't say it any better than that. You're wasting your time. So FYI, when you're using a dual action polisher, if that thing is not rotating, you're not actually cutting AKA or correcting or polishing or doing anything to the paint. So that's a big, that's a big, uh, big heads up on that. So remember before I'm going to piece this all together. So bear with me. Remember before we said the rotary polisher is a uh, scalpel. The dual action polisher is a butter knife. So butter knife still cut I, I wouldn't want to get stabbed with a butter with a butter knife but you know it's not going to really be that big of a deal but a scalpel that's a really sharp um tool that uh, it really needs to be on the right hand so hopefully this is all kind of marinating and, and and getting in there so all right, now here's the next step in the technology so now clear co- now in the mid 80s and i can't really A definitive date on it. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get 8,000 emails about it, but somewhere in the 80s, because there wasn't like a line where people said, All right, from now on, there's going to be clear coats on all these cars. It doesn't work that way. Each manufacturer did their own thing, but in your brain, think, All right, somewhere in the mid 80s, I got to be heads up. So if you get a car from the 60s, you're going to know, Hey, single stage paint, I have to address it a certain way. If you get a 2013 blah, 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 blah car, there's going to be a clear coat on it. This is just the way it is. But it gets a little fuzzy as you get closer to the 80s. So keep that in the back of your mind. So as the clear coats now, so this is going to be after the 80s. As the clear coats became thinner, the manufacturers needed to make that clear coat stronger. So now you're saying, now we moved up to two-stage paint, uh, double-stage paint. Um, and what that is, is a very thin coat of the color, black, red, green, whatever your car color is, right? For, forget about the primer and the base and all that stuff. We're going to move past that because it's not relevant at this particular point. So you have very thin coat of paint and a, and a little bit thicker, but still thin coat of clear coat on top of it. So two separate stages, a.k.a. two-stage. Remember, you know, back in the beginning, it was single-stage where they mixed the, those two qualities together. And again, I'm using air quotes because... Most people argue with me that it really wasn't quality like on the old red, you know, Chevy pickups. You'd see it get really uh, clay, not clay, but um, like fuzzy, nasty, um, smoked, just horrible. And if you put any polish on it, it would just turn bright red again and look amazing. Well, that's that's because the UV qualities and the protection that was in that paint wasn't that great. So that's why I'm using air quotes because I'm sure there's a detailer out there saying, no, and, you know, whatever. So you get my point. Going... Now, modern, if clear coat, so instead of putting this big, thick, gunk, you know, I think in my mind, I I imagine somebody at the factory back then when they didn't have machines or whatever, someone just like piling on uh, paint in a single stage. Now they have these machines that are 10 times better than any human being, meaning they're so precise. And, you know, GM and Porsche and Ferrari and whoever, you know, they watch every penny because there's not a whole lot of money in selling new cars it's actually more of the repairs and the parts and things like that but again that's another podcast but so an extra mill here or there is very costly to a manufacturer so what they did is they put a very thin coat of paint and then a very th- uh, thin i'm using your quotes again uh, uh, of clear coat on top of it just a little bit thicker what does that mean to a detailer i know i'm throwing a lot out at you here but what that means is because that clear coat is stronger because it's thinner you know, they're going to spend less money, but you need it stronger. That dual action polisher kind of becomes useless because because it's stronger. You need the power of the rotary, but you want to somehow combine the friendliness of the dual action polisher. So what happens? So Flex came out. Flex is a really uh, good company, and they're, I, I think the guy who runs it's a nice guy. Um, so what they did was they came out with um, the 3104 specifically. And what that does is it mimics the two things. It mimics or combines the action of the rotary direct drive, right, with the dual action polisher, dual action drive, you know, spins. You guys are with me on that. And what they do is they call it a forced rotation. So picture a dual action polisher, right, Shaking, shaking, meaning spinning, spinning, spinning. And then within the spin, it's doing little circles. Hopefully, you guys have watched a bunch of my videos and seen me do it with my hand. I'm doing hands here, but I'm realizing I'm talking to a microphone. Um, And at the same time, combine it with a rotary that it's it's forcing it to spin. So here we go. Stick with me on this one. Rotary, you put on the edge, you you pull the trigger, it's going to burn right through. Step two, dual action polisher. You put it on the edge. When I say edge, I mean the edge of the hood or a car or something dangerous. But on the edge, it's going to shake, meaning that little sharpie line that we talked about is not going to spin, which means you're not doing anything, which also means it's very safe. Step three, the flex is going to shake and oscillate just like the dual action, but it is still going to spin whether you like it or not. So you put it on the edge and you pull that trigger, it's going to spin and it's going to oscillate and it's going to be forced to do that. So that that was kind of like a revolutionary meaning you got the power of the rotary with the with the comfort of the DA and that that uh you know that will uh that changed the game in my opinion this was years ago um, a couple of years ago I don't know when they came out with that but uh it really gave you some correcting power and at the same time was was rel- you know was pretty safe for the average weekend warrior or the detailer who didn't want to have to I mean you get behind the wheel of a rotary polisher you can't be you can't be monkeying around. I mean, I know as you get better and better, you can kind of, you know, turn your brain off a little bit. Um, I know sometimes I do, but you, you gotta be, you gotta have all your lights on upstairs when you're, when you're playing with a rotary polisher. So with the flex, you can kind of, it's, it's a really nice machine. So now we're going more advanced, more advanced, right? Now you got these really super hard clear coats and now recently, and I'm sure everyone's waiting for this, this to drop right now is the Rupes polisher. Now I've played with the Roops polisher a whole a whole bunch, and I played with the three inch um, specifically, and the twenty one, and the fifteen is obviously in between, so I don't necessarily need to play with that one so much. But I would love it. Um, it is a uh, it's a really cool machine. So we have number one. I'm not going to go through it again. Number two, DA. We have number three is the Flex polisher. Now we have number four. Now what's the difference between the with the Flex and the Roops? This is probably what all of you have been listening and going, to, you know, get to the point. The point is this. The ROOPS polisher, its concern is about, or it's, I'm trying to think of the right word, but what makes it so cool, I guess, for the lack of whatever, is the fact that it has a throw. What I mean by throw is as, like a dual action polisher, as it spins and it oscillates inside each other, you know, inside its, its spin, the ROOPS is going to travel from left to right as it's doing that same action as the dual action polisher. Does that make sense? So as it's spinning and as it's oscillating little t- little tiny oscillations within the spin, it's traveling left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, really, really fast. That is what we call throw. So very quick recap. One, rotary, direct drive. Two, dual action polisher is two actions at once with a clutch. Three is the flexed. We call that forced rotation so that's all three of them together four is roops and that we are our, our trigger word for that is um it went right out of my head i'm losing my mind what was it it was throw thank you so the throw is the big deal and a 21 millimeter is going to throw 21 millimeters so uh, if you think about it the flex only has about an 8 millimeter throw while the roops has a 21 millimeter throw now, what does this all mean? Everyone's listening and saying, okay, I'm sort of getting the evolution. Basically, the paints were really you know, single stage, single stage. And then manufacturers figured, out, oh my God, we're losing tons of money on that. Let's make it really small and thin, and small mills. But if we're going to make it small and thin, we got to up the UV protection. We got to up the strength. And then basically, you know, the dual action polisher guys went, oh crap, we can't do anything because it's so strong. We need to have something that's also strong and safe. The flex came. The ROOPS, I think... Uh, in my opinion is, is changing the game, uh, once again. And I, I definitely use it. It's, you know, one of the tricks that I showed in the videos is you got to lift up so you don't have all your weight down on it as it's, as you turn it on, because it is a little funky, a little awkward as you turn it on. But once it's going, you know, the momentum in the, it, 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 you know, it, it works fine after that. Um, and then, uh, you can also put a washer in there. I know Kevin Brown talks about it. I never actually met Kevin Brown, but I hear good things and he sounds like a nice guy. Um. If, he's, if you're listening give me a call we'll we'll interview you and, and chat about a bunch of stuff but um yeah so the interesting thing about the roops is like the DA it will bog down if you get to a section you know a corner or some uh, we call it a hot edge if you get to a hot edge it's going to it's going to it's going to bog down meaning you know you are going to make the marker again and it's not going to spin on the backing plate where the roops where the roops where the flex 3401 is going to spin and what we call forced rotation. So I know we're going over and over again, but you have to, it's a lot of complicated things that you kind of have to put in your brain. And once you understand all this stuff, you can say, hey, what's the best choice for, for this or that? And a lot of times people ask me, what's the best polisher? And I say, well, it's virtually impossible for me to answer a question. What's the best, you know this technique or what, how do I fix this? Or how do I clean it? It, You know, it's basically looking at multiple factors. What's the car, what's the year, what's the condition? What does the owner want to achieve by that? How much are they willing to pay? I know that sounds weird and you can't talk about pay, but that's how the world works. You know, we all have to eat and and do whatever, but, and pay mortgages. But, you know, it's hard for me to answer that question. So I'm hoping that by yapping for the last, whatever it is, 20 minutes, you're seeing the evolution of the paint you're seeing the evolution of the machines for me i have all the i have everyone that i just mentioned because I, I deal with so many different and unique situations like the plane i just did i needed a rotary and i needed a wool pad because it made my life it cut down hours and hours probably even close to days worth of work on this on this um, on this plane so if i'm using if i'm working on a really expensive you know 2 million dollar ferrari paint i'm probably going to use the roops why because I can't afford, literally and figuratively, um, I can't afford to make a mistake. So if for some reason I drop the ball or, you know, there's nobody behind the wheel upstairs, I'm, you know, I'm a human being, you know, stuff happens. I want that machine to back me up and stop spinning if I, for some reason, make a mistake. So that's why I sort of lean towards the ROOPS. Now, if you're doing more, I don't know, if you're doing more... uh line work we call it where you're pumping out lots of details and stuff you can use the flex they're both really great machines i i hesitate to say one or the other i'm just telling you what i use because i have a unique situation Uh, and i'm very lucky that i get to kind of pick and choose the the cars that mean a lot to me to not that a civic doesn't mean a lot to me but I'm, i'm sure most of you would are shaking your head right now saying hey you know doing a really cool ferrari is is more intellectually stimulating or whatever you want to say Um, so that's why I sort of lean towards the ROOPS and, um, just on a side note, the ROOPS three inches off the charts. It's really, really good. Um, it's annoying that you have to use it with air. I would love if there was an electric version of it, but it is what it is. The, um, it does work really well and almost too well because it's ripping apart, um, a lot of my, uh, my cutting pads on there, but nonetheless, it's a great machine. So that's the rundown of the evolution of paint, which is important to understand into And to feel confident. Remember, we talked about confidence before when you're when you're talking to your customers or whatever. The evolution of paint, you can do a brief, you know, do the two-minute version when you're trying to explain to somebody, hey, I'm gonna use a rotary on your car or whatever, or your boat, or your plane, or hey, I'm gonna use the roofs, and this is why. Because you have clear coat, because you have if you kind of go through all that and give a quick little, you know, this is my other little side note for you when you're, you know, a lot of the questions I like I keep saying is how do how do I get more business? How do I look this? How do I charge more? How do I you gotta have the confidence. You gotta have this knowledge to be able to relay it to your customer or your friend or yourself or whoever, so that you it comes across like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. So the one way to know about what you are talking about is to listen to things like this, even though it's long, and 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 read and practice and watch the videos. So for those of you that are actually listening to this, um, uh, I think you guys, you know, you hung in there for twenty or thirty minutes, whatever this is. And uh, you know, we went over a bunch of stuff. So it's uh I think it's within your capabilities to practice and, and do this. So again, if you have any questions, shoot me an email at Larry at dot com. I'm gonna throw over, we're gonna we're gonna hop on the phone with Zach. Like I said, we're having some internet issues, but hey, the podcast is going pretty, pretty well. I'm hoping this is helpful to guys. Um you're listening to it while you're detailing your car on Sunday or whatever, or you're listening to me in the car. Um, but if you have any, you know, uh, suggestions or anything. Shoot it over there. It's only going to get better. We're learning how to use these machines better and playing around with the internet and all that kind of nonsense. So without further ado, let me uh hop on the phone with Zach. After Zach, we're going to uh answer one or two quick questions because this is running long. As always, I get too excited. Um, so but a lot of you said it, you know, the length wasn't the issue, it was my volume before. So we're got a new microphone, all this fun stuff. Again, I'm very grateful for you guys listening. And um I don't know. Maybe it's probably more therapeutic for me doing this than uh, than the knowledge that you're gaining uh, or hopefully gaining from this uh, from me, you know, yapping it up over here. So again, I'm very grateful for that. So thanks, guys. So let's uh, let's zip in the Zach, because he's um, he's a good guy and he's got lots of fun things to talk about, and we can take a little break from pouring all this nerdy detailing stuff in your brain. So, Mr. Clatman, are you there? I am, Mr. Cosilla. <laughs> well thanks for uh thanks for coming on i know we uh we set it up a bit that you're going to be coming on on a semi-regular basis whenever you're free i know you're gallivanting around the world doing your things for tst and whatever else uh whatever whatever famous people do
1: if we're around the world you mean around the eastern desert of california and texas then yes
0: so tell me what what exactly are you doing was it is that, is that uh, big muscle you're doing or what
1: yeah, I spent a week uh, with Mike Musto up in NorCal, and we shot uh, four episodes of Big Muscle in five days. Um, so it was a pretty busy week. A lot of uh, a lot of sunscreen and a lot of five hour energy. <laughs> um, it's, it's I mean, people, you know, like the the job's really fun, but it's it's like a fourteen hour day. And, uh, you have to think the whole time and move the whole time and move cameras and not damage stuff. And then at the end of it, you're like, Oh my God, tomorrow we do it again.
0: Yeah. So I mean Musso was telling me that you guys did a thousand miles. He put a thousand miles on the, the battle wagon, but you guys didn't really drive that far. He said it was just like you were driving in circles for, for days or something.
1: Kind of. Yeah. I mean, we basically stayed Musto lives in Pleasant Hill, which is, uh, the Eastern San Francisco Bay area for other people listening. And all the cars we shot are located within about 70 miles of him in a circle, a uh, 70 mile radius. So we would drive to the shoot, but then in the course of a day, you know, we'd drive another 60 miles to a location and then we're doing uh, stuff with our, the battle wagon all day, chasing the car for car to car and various filming techniques and reasons. So we probably put a couple hundred miles on that car every day, every day that we shoot. And when he drives down to LA, you know, one time we drove to San Diego and back three days in a row. So that was like that was like a thousand miles in three days, not counting his drive down. So uh, we, you know, I'm uh, I'm figuring out my the perfect posture for the back seat, which is I am like the little kid in that car because him and Thaddeus are gigantic. So there's no way I'm getting dibs on a
0: shotgun. <laughs> and uh, apparently you did uh, a quarter mile. Uh... Oh, race. <laughs> I'm looking on Facebook and I'm seeing 17, whatever. And I just, because Musto and I go back and forth daily with, you know, pictures and whatever. And I'm looking at this slip and I'm saying, what the hell is running 17? It never occurred to me he'd, he'd race the battle wagon.
1: Yeah, we uh, we stopped in, I don't know how we even found out about it. I think we'd heard that on Wednesday nights at Infineon Raceway, they do a drag and drift night for cheap. And we're like, let's just go check it out. Like, let's. there's probably going to be some cars there. Maybe we could film some of them, meet some people. So we brought the battle wagon, and as soon as we got there, Thaddeus, Thaddeus just says, like, You got to run it. Just as a joke, you got to run the battle wagon. And so we're sitting there having lunch, and we're trying to figure out what, how fast it'll run or how slow, because it's, it's a slow car. It's like a 4,200 pound whale with an engine that's 21 years old. What, that, what
0: engine's in there?
1: It's um, an L99.
0: Oh wow! So that's it's not even that's not even my Impala motor, which is an LT1. No, that this no. is like a yikes.
1: It makes it made 190 horsepower when it came out of the factory, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, it torque's all right. But so we're sitting there having lunch, and we're like, all right, it ran. I think it ran like an 18 flat back in the in the day, and so the numbers that we each threw out were in the 20s. Like I thought it would run a 21.8. Most of thought it would run a 22. 21.6. Because we're like, it's old. It's slow. It's been beat on. First, run out of the gate with Musto and Thaddeus, and all our camera gear. That's like seven hundred pounds of shit in the car.
0: You and raced it, with it in the car?
1: Yeah, because we, cause oh we wanted to God. see. We raced, and, and you're allowed to have one passenger. No helmet required because it's so slow, and it ran a seventeen-eight. So That's th- impressive. It was. It was the most unimpressive launch you've ever seen because it, it basically just got past the highway speed by the end of the quarter <laughs> so so then we got serious we're like okay now we gotta see how well it'll do so we start taking stuff out start switching drivers so the quickest run of the day was with me because i'm smaller than them so i'm like the jockey for the horse yeah. and uh i ran a seventeen-one. but the first run i did this is the first time i ever ran a, a quarter on a legal drag strip with a light and everything because I, I drag raced all through high school but it was you know, it wasn't on a strip, it was on the highway. And uh in that car with velour seats, leaned back, going so slow, I I was I had less attention and adrenaline going through me than when I'm sleeping. <laughs> I mean I was like looking around and like, oh Sonoma's pretty at five o'clock mm-hmm. like and then you go through the quarter at seventy three miles an hour. Yeah. So it, it was it was a silly fun time. But we're gonna go back and we're gonna bring his charger and uh, the Cobra I built with my dad, and um, we're going to go run the quarter and run drift night with those. And kind of people are going to be like, "What are you doing here with those?" it will be fun.
0: Oh, that car your car was crazy. I remember driving behind you and just like just flames popping out everywhere. I was Man, just a <laughs> crazy car. It'll be cool. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about uh, you know press cars. You guys, you guys get more press cars than any other group of people I've ever known. So what have you driven?
1: Um, this week I had a Volkswagen Jetta Hybrid, which um, it's a turbo hybrid though, so it's not you know like a Prius. is just a normal,
0: normal
1: Toyota motor hooked up to batteries. So that, and it's pretty good. Uh, I will say it's it's way more fun and faster than a Prius. Um, the turbo helps a ton, and when you when you get on the highway, like it, when you punch it, it, you know it combines both power systems. So the, then you've got 184 foot pounds of torque and 170 horsepower. That's really not that bad. And I think this car, like I drove it back, back and forth from my house and I read online, wink, 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 that it will Mm -hmm. do at least 115 miles an hour with the AC on, on a hundred degree day. Um, So it, it pulls really strong passing cars. is No problem. Um, It's, it's a good combination. I think the next step for hybrids will really be diesel hybrids. That's, I, I think that's going to be the magic souffle recipe um, because you're going to have crazy amounts of torque but even better efficiency. But, um, you know, I would much rather drive a Jetta Hybrid every day than a Prius for sure.
0: No kidding. Yeah, I, I believe the same thing about uh, diesels. I have a diesel truck, and the thing just runs forever, and there's, I, I really believe that uh, that's going to be the next wave is, is everything diesel. So I agree with you on that one for sure. Um, where are we with things? It says, article, what have you written lately? What t- Tell me something new. So teach, teach me something here. What's new?
1: Um, see, the last thing I wrote was about uh, Pagani's latest final uh, Zonda. I don't know if you've read about that or if your people have, but basically they just came out with a car called the Zonda Revolution, and it's a street-legal version of a formerly track-only car that they made Last year, that was, quote, the last Zonda ever. So what they did is they stopped. They said they were going to stop making the Zonda, which is one of the greatest, most beautiful cars ever conceived on the planet. They are like, we're done, and now we're going to make the Wyra. And everyone went, okay. Then they came out with a last final trim level special edition. And then they came out with another one. And then they came out with another one. And now they have this. So it's like the fourth Encore at a Metallica concert, you know, it's like we're we're done. Thanks, Cleveland, and they walk off. Then they do it again. Then they do it again. Then they do it again, and I, and I have no problem with more Zondas on the planet. That's fine. I just want them to stop saying we're done making them because that doesn't add anything. Like I'm I'm not going to be upset if they say we're going to keep making Zondas because they you think
0: it's because of the money thing, or you think it's because people are are uh, you know saying hey I'll take. You know, next year I'll take ten of them or to, how many they sell a year. That's
1: what it is. I think uh they said that the this they said that this one came about because they had enough customers writing them saying I would like to have a street legal version of the seven. So I bet had I bet what they wanted to do was stop making the Zonda and move to the Waira and say that was then and now this is now. But they had people keep knocking at the door and all o- you can only ward off so many seven-figure checks before you're like, fine, we'll make more cars. Uh, especially when you're a small company like that.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the family guy kind of thing. You know, but, uh, you know what, let's close it down. And then when you get 800 million people saying, you know what, I'll download the DVD or whatever they did, yeah. it's like, boom, the show pops back up again.
1: Totally. I think uh, I compared it to, like, Horatio Pagani is is like someone who keeps saying they're going to quit drinking, but they keep keep drinking. But he's a fantastic drunk, so... <laughs> I, I don't mind that he keeps drinking. You know, he's not abusive. He just makes amazing things. So just stop telling me you're done and let's go get a beer. You know, keep making the Zonda and keep making the Waira and the planet will be happy.
0: And then next year we'll go through the same exact thing.
1: Oh, yeah. They'll, I'm sure they'll make another one and probably another one. And, you know, I mean, it's a stunning car.
0: What is it, 2.8 now. million I'm seeing here?
1: Uh, That sounds about right. You know, they're going to make like five or whatever the limited run. Yeah, and it's eight limited to five units. And- you know, every part on it is priceless. And uh, and it's not only, like, the materials are phenomenal. It's, if you've ever looked, anyone, you know, if, if you haven't looked inside a Zonda in person, go online and look at the interior. Blows your mind. It's it's a jewelry box shoved inside a, a car with a steering wheel and a tack. And it's, everything is, like, handmade aluminum, handmade titanium. Um, I got to see a wire in person, and I just looked in the window
0: at Where did you see that?
1: I saw it at a dealership that I'm not allowed to mention because they told me not to post pictures. Uh, I don't know why they did that; they just did. So I'll respect their wishes. But uh, it was it was in L.A. and it was not the press uh, wire that was that was going around last year.
0: Um, was there one was there one at Pebble Beach because must have oh, yeah. when I went no, to Pebble Beach, there. I I think I drove past one.
1: Yeah, there was one um, there. That was the press one that they were they were kind of trotting around. That was down in L.A. for a little bit. Um, I think that's the one they gave some American journalists rides in and whatnot. And, uh, this one, I'm pretty sure this is a private customer car. They just wouldn't, they didn't want to say it. I don't know why, but
0: it's amazing. This has an AMG, uh, you know, motor in there.
1: Yeah. All Zonda's engines have been built by AMG and, you know, they keep squeezing a little more power out of it. So they had the the 760 RS and now, now they've got like 800 horsepower. Um, I mean, it's, they had like the Zonda R which was a race car, and you could only race it at the track, kind of like the Ferrari FXX. And, um, you know, it's for billionaire track toy. Like, oh, that's cute. You have a, you know, Ariel Adam. I have a Zonda R that I can only flatbed <laughs> to the track. There's a guy in L.A. who has one that flatbeds it to cars and coffee and I guess stares at it and then flatbeds it home. But um, so this is like that, but street legal.
0: This is unbelievable. I think the most beautiful part of that car, I know it's going to sound weird, is the uh, side view mirrors? Have you seen them? Yeah, they're, they're they're amazing, unbelievable. I mean, it really is a piece of art. I feel like I can almost put that thing right on my desk as a desk lamp or something. That's what it reminds me of. Uh, I think I,
1: it's I totally know what you mean with that nice. It's got like that arcing stem. Yes, almost yes. Like uh, like a like a slightly blown over flower or something. It's mm-hmm. carbon fiber, and then uh, just like that bulb of carbon. That's the mirror. They're, it every inch of that car, like they hand make their own nuts and bolts. I mean, this is the OCD level would rival—actually, would, the OCD level completely decimates yours. But <laughs> or you
0: For $2.8 million, maybe it will.
1: Yeah, um, but in that same vein of the, of the Zonda, um, the, I think the interesting car of the week, which we shot for big muscle, it's not fast. It wasn't gnarly. It wasn't burly. It was a 59 Bonneville that was a Lamborghini orange exterior, and it's like 20 feet long— cream interior i mean it looked like a pimps car it looked like a steve harvey suit but the interior of it from the factory in 59 was like this amazing ornate like stainless brush steel with these pop-out gauges and there was like reflections on reflections everywhere um, i mean the video will come out in a while but i got in and i went wow this looks like looks like a zonda as strange as that sounds it's just the way they used to do it
0: Wow, I'm sure Zonda's thrilled with that, uh, that <laughs> comparison. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Horace, so nice to meet you. You know what this reminds me of? It's a '59 Honey. <laughs> like, and, uh. Yeah, th- thank you. Escort you. Him. Americans. Yeah. Oh, my God. Put him in the well. All
0: right, so this morning I get up and, or I guess last week I went to the Greenwich Concord. I had a couple of cars there that I prepared and blah, blah, blah. I met some guys and they're like, hey, you want to go on a run? And I said, sure. So this morning I, I get up. Um, I take the, the, the nine, six, four out. I'm all jazzed up and excited. I got, I put my new wheels on it like eight o'clock at night, hmm. the whole thing. I, I get to this run and we've all done runs and you think, all right, usually it's like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. You go, you have your coffee, you come back, whatever. Right. I get there. It's nine o'clock, nine 30. Really, really nice guys. I didn't get home until 4 PM. Wow. And I'm not joking. We drove all, but maybe an hour and 20 minutes of that time. And we drove all the way up to Wayne Carini's shop, you know, F uh, Forty Motorsports, uh, chasing, chasing classic guy, you know, whatever it is with the mustache guy, mm-hmm. you know, what chasing I mean? classic cars. Super, super nice guy. So I took some behind the scenes footage. I just basically turned the camera on, and he walked around and gave us a tour or whatever. He's super nice, but I, 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 you had to peel me out of the car at this point because there's. We, we drove, it was like back roads. I had to, I think if I look at the sheet, it was 160 miles or 140 miles or some ridiculous amount of miles. Cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But, um, so I put new wheels on these, uh, Potenza pole position and I put 17, uh, 17 inch cup one wheels on the car and I put them in bronze, which is, uh, I was really, Ooh. really excited. Yeah. It's nice. pretty, nice work. it's pretty nice. nice. Black yeah. and
1: bronze that's a, it's the, a, a combo that is not seen often enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to make it, you know, it was weird because the run that we went on there was probably like 15 cars and there's, you know, uh Mercedes uh, SLS and Ford GTs and you know 575s and blah blah blah. And The list goes on. It was kind of cool. There's a few Porsche's there, but um I was talking to the I was talking to the older guys and there was some and the younger kids, you know, that they brought along like the father brought the son or whatever. And we were trying to have a conversation and I'm like I wanted this to be able to bridge the gap between the two of them. I didn't want it to be like, you know, put 20s on your, your older school Porsche. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's too big. It's too much, or even 18s for that matter. If, you, if In this particular car, um, it's not the Porsche doesn't want you to put 18s without putting these bumper stops on. It's kind of a pain in the butt. So I said 17s will be nice, but I wanted to throw – I mean, you and I are still in our 30s. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want to put on – You ever see the design 90 wheels? They're cool. They're light. They're 16s, but I don't know. They just didn't, like, work with – I wanted something a little bit younger, but at the same time, I didn't want something, you know, 20-inch chrome, whatever, and then, you know, totally ruin the the Porsche heritage. You know what I mean?
1: Well, another thing people don't think about is when you put bigger wheels on a car, it reduces your stopping power, and it can slow your handling down, and some big wheels weigh a lot, so – I remember what, like unique autos were when they they had that TV show all these guys were coming in with Lambos and they're like dude put 22s on it put whatever not thinking that engineers specifically design cars with a certain amount of rotational weight and uh and unsprung weight and if you start throwing giant rims on it you're stopping a bigger object and there's more rotational mass so it can it's not even just how, it's not all about how it looks which I, is is very important don't worry um but uh that's a whole other thing to think about is that you might be screwing up how the car drives.
0: Yeah, because there, there was an, another guy there with a um, – what was it, 996? I think, I'm think pretty sure it was a 996 or a 993. I, there was so many cars there. My brain is getting fuzzy. But um, he put 19s, I want to say 18s or 19s on on, on the Ms. On Porsche. And as he was going around these turns because we were driving forever – um, he just chewed up the, all the you know the side of his you know the side of his tire, and then I was driving behind him he 's a really nice guy, oh, and I could just it was like the tire was coming out of the wheel well, and i just i 'm trying to like imagine like oh, when oh your internet 's like lagging is it yeah you you had a little bit of that before i 'm sure we 're going to get eight hundred emails uh, okay. I was like here 's the moral of the story. Uh- and, and that's it. <laughs> that's what, that's what it was before you were, <laughs> yeah. you were saying, just cut out. And I'm sure people would be like, what the hell?
1: Yeah. What were they going to say? The secrets of life.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was me cutting out or you cutting out, but apologize everybody if you're, uh, if we cut out, but yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And it is funny just because I don't know. I was so stressing out in the last like week trying to get these wheels powder coated and the whole nine yards. And I wanted it to fit right. And, I still need to put some spacers on there, but there's like this love hate thing with spacers. Some people are like, you know, don't put spacers on your on your car, and because it ruins this, this, and this. And then other people are like, you're completely insane. I've, you know, I've tracked my car for 27 years, and I've had spacers on them. Blah 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 blah. Like these old timers that I ask. So I don't know what to do, but I love put. I I have a little bit more room that I need to fill up in the uh, in the wheel well, so I think I'm That's gonna try spacers. I mean. So the worst thing you do is just pop them off when you're done. It's not, you know, it's changing a wheel. It's not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, do your research when you're modifying a car, any car and, and do a lot of research and try. And another thing with forms, forms are an amazing asset. When I was modifying my, my old Subi and you just got to, measure the credibility of what you're reading you know don't don't listen to everybody because you'll get 100 conflicting opinions and a lot of those opinions are totally useless and it's like 14 year old kids that heard something from someone um, Yeah. and then yeah and then just try it man like i we when we were filming uh oh speaking of the pontiac with with the track like we noticed when we were behind this old dodge coronet that the wheels were not only narrow but they're Older cars, the wheels are always mounted a little bit inboard. There's a lot of room between the outside of the wheel and the fender, just because they were putting bigger bodies on these frames, and uh, and they didn't know about the track. And so when Pontiac came out with this wide track marketing campaign, they pushed the wheels way to the outside. So it makes
0: it look so much better. I yep. can't even tell you. It uh, totally it's such a pet peeve of mine. When I look at a car from the side, if I can see through, you know, if I can basically put my hand. inside the wheel well from the top of the tire to the wheel well, that's just too much space. There there is – I don't know how to explain it the right way, but there's like this –
1: Oh, they call it a dead cat space. Like, Or journalists, I should say, call that dead cat space.
0: Oh, really? That's that's an actual term? Yeah. I love that. That actually makes sense to me. But, yeah, if there's too much – and it's not a truck, obviously. If it's a truck, it's a different story. But if you're driving a Porsche or a Ferrari or whatever and there's any dead cat space or whatever – I just think it's too much. It doesn't, I don't know. I think I take my cues from the, from a track car or a race car that you see and you dream about and you see it, you know, whipping around the track, you kind of want to pull that and put that right on the street. And, you know, when you see a track car, obviously it's going to be glued to the ground within reason. You got to raise it up a little bit, but as soon as you go too far, I just, I don't know what it is. That's like my biggest pet peeve. When I look at a car is if I can see that, that huge gap and it just doesn't look right, which is weird. I I totally
1: agree. And I think there's also a problem as as rims got bigger and, t- and tires got bigger that I think got out of control, and everyone was putting these uh,
0: like Yo, rubber band
1: we tires.
0: You're breaking up there, Bubba. If every, if anyone can still because listen to what you're here,
1: it, it would just <laughs> look wrong for the period. And I think the proportions, like my, like I have my, a Miata and I have 14s on it with like these thick sidewalls. And the cars low, and it and same with like you know old muscle cars or the Cobras. Like I like that beefy old school racing tire. I mean, look at new F1 tires and uh, and NASCAR tires still have good sidewall, you know. And, and it I think it looks tougher than um, than these. You know, than filling. I'd rather fill out that area in an equal measure between rim and tire than all rim.
0: I agree. I agree because I, you you were breaking up a little bit before, um, but. I I get the gist of what you're saying because that, that, that was the next point that I was going to make is when I went from the 16 to the 17, it didn't, I thought it would fill the wheel well out more and it didn't. And it maybe, I think it's psychological or something. It's like the, because the tire got skinnier, you know what I mean? The sidewall, obviously, because it's a bigger rim. I think looking at it now, I'm saying to myself, I, that's why I'm freaking out. I need to get spacers or something because it's just, it's not filling that space enough. And I thought, for sure, if you go up in, tire, in rim size, you immediately fill out that space. But I think you're right. It's like this illusion that also happens with black. If you put black rims on there, it almost like it just sometimes it looks like there's a huge hole. You can't, Your eye can't determine where if there's that dead cat space or not or whatever. So I guess what I'm learning by doing all this stuff is you got to do this in tiny. I'm sure car guys know, but you got to do this in tiny pieces and kind of take out. And, you know, do one thing and then look at it and be like, no, lower it down. So I'm going to play with the suspension again and all this kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's just this, uh, you know, what was me problem. My, my <laughs> Porsche doesn't look right.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think it's – I mean, you'll never meet someone that that built a car and got everything right the first time. doesn't matter if they paid for someone to build it or they did it themselves. You know, they're always going to be – they thought this would be good and they go, oh, nope, it's not perfect. And it's it's like a symphony, man. You got to – like oh no we got to bring the violins up a little bit more i thought it would be perfect right there but it, there's a lot of stuff that goes into making everything look great and uh and i think having that kind of all over i think cars that have an all over beauty or correct design and proportion like you look at it and it just kind of you just get it quick it's like it like it it touches like a different part of your brain when it, you know
0: there's a lot that goes into it man i it's uh it's kind of a big deal i'm I'm sort of consumed with building it the way that I want it to to look and feel and dr- and ride and the whole nine yards. So I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Um,
1: I'm, yeah, I'm glad you you uh, you moved from your Impala. You got a new car. You, you know, you I still have the Impala.
0: I still I still have the Impala. You do? I whip around town. Oh yeah. I I mean, what am I gonna do? Sell that for two thousand dollars? I mean, you know, the car is so old, but. Well, Uh, I have a new plan
1: that that I'll I'll tell you briefly because I know we're short on time, but, um, uh, I was driving back back with Thaddeus
0: and, uh, lost him again. Zach, are you alive? Are you back?
1: Ed, we're back.
0: (laughs) Wonderful internet. You got there at the TST household.
1: Yeah. Someone's probably uploading a video or downloading a a FTP something. I don't know. It slows down. I apologize.
0: No worries. Tell me about uh, your Miata before you do your plugs.
1: All right. So what I was trying to say is based on your Impala is uh, I have a new plan. My car was going to be turned into a sporty camera car, but with the amount of money it would cost, uh, um, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to get a former detective police car, like a 2001 Crown Vic. Nice. And uh, and then you know I'm going to do some minor modifications that will be very easy, uh, some of which will be for performance and some of which will be for – Flying stealthily down the highway for the most efficient travel possible. If you know those are
0: right. bulletproof cars, man. You, you just I change know. change the oil on them, you know, and, and keep up with it, and that car will last forever. That's why you know they are what they are. They're taxis. I think they go 300, 350,000 miles as taxis.
1: Yeah, they, they usually they usually to like six hundred, and then I don't know what they do, but you know, I mean, basically, I want something that can rip down the highway. That'll be comfortable, reliable, uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to do some some interesting things with it.
0: So, welcome that, to the world of big, old, heavy, gas Chevy's. guzzling cars. Yes, <laughs>
1: I know I, the gas is going to be one thing, but I'm eventually I'll do I'll put a six speed manual swap and probably do taller gears because um, you can do a lot of interesting stuff to them for
0: not a lot of money. This is true. So, well, you make me the right offer. That Impala can be out in California tomorrow. What color is it? My Impala is black. It's black. It's got black wheels. It's lowered. It's got, uh, you know, pieces of an old Corvette suspension in there. It does. It does the job. It's a pretty clean car.
1: That would I, if I wasn't trying to go as close legally to a cop car as I can, I would actually take you up on that because the <laughs> Impala SSs are sweet. But it's uh, a little too old to be to pass as a, a new cop car.
0: Well, if you come, if I say if you, uh, I turn my daytimes on. You know, with the little yellow lights on the mm-hmm. front, and then if you just whale up behind somebody like real fast, yeah, they just look in the rear view and they're like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh I, you know what? I'm not really sure. I, I'm just pulling over anyway." You know wait, what I mean? Wait, they just wait. move, at, and then I, I go past them. You can see them give me like a look, like,
1: "Oh man." See, my funny idea is, uh, Musto's going to give me a free CB radio, so I'm going to mount the antenna in the center. Yeah. And uh everything else is gonna be cop spec with spotlights and uh I wanna pull up next to people with my sunglasses on because cops always wear sunglasses. That's right. So I'm gonna pull up next to the people that are texting while driving and they're gonna catch my eye and I'm gonna just hold up my finger with a one and be like, This is your
0: <laughs> This is your one shot.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna patrol the streets with minor vigilante justice to improve everyone's driving and scare people. It's gonna be I'm so excited to be such a like. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna push the limits of what you can get away with.
0: That's really funny. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good talking to you. Plug your you plug your man. stuff. What uh, What are you doing now? Give me your whatever your handles are, your Twitter and your whatever you do.
1: All right. Well, um, definitely come to thesmokingtire.com and read. um Mine, Matt's, and some of our other contributors, posts, reviews, news. There's a lot of snarky, ranty stuff on there and uh, a lot of silly crap. And for more silly crap, you can follow me on Twitter, which is just at Zach Klapman, Z-A-C-K-K-L-A-P-M-A-N. It's mostly not car-related, so be ready for that. And uh, go watch the videos at the Drive channel. Watch Big Muscle, watch Drive Clean, just watch all of it. Everyone I turn on to it likes it. So if you haven't seen it and you like anything, cars other than NASCAR, uh you'll be a fan. There's there really is something for everyone there that it, you know and a lot of it is stuff that's not provided at all that's coverage F one all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing that Mike and I talked about is like everybody on the channel is like exactly how they are on the channel is how they are in real life. You know what I mean? It's just they're just yeah. real real people. It's kind of refreshing.
1: Yeah, if you watch Big Muscle you're gonna see Mike probably punch me in the face at the point because I'm just I am just like myself uh, when we're filming is when we're not filming. So he's just like one of these days I'm just gonna smack you in the
0: head. <laughs> All right. Well cool man. Thanks for coming on and until uh, till next week we'll we'll get our update and our get our we'll get our fill of Zach Clapman. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah thanks a lot Larry. Have a good one. Ah it's always good to have Zach on. He's the man. All right let's move on to our uh, question and answer. Today I'm getting a question from Tommy Svenningson from Saviden, um, and basically he's asking um, you know, about my cream wax and how do you apply that by hand the same way you do ammo skin or do you need to use a machine? So I'm not going to, uh, I'll talk about um, sealants and waxes in general. You know me, I'm not really a big pusher of, uh, of anything. You use the products that you feel comfortable using, et cetera, et cetera, but this is on my Facebook page, so um, he's talking specifically about ammo stuff. So in general, to answer that question, uh, my answer to a lot of people when they, they you know, they hold up their du- dual action polisher and they say, you know, I use this to put on wax. Um, you can. For me, I don't. I like to do it by hand because I like to get one last um, sort of feeling the texture of the paint and make sure I didn't miss anything, you know, a clay bar and just I like to do it that way anytime I don't. You don't need the machine or any heavy machinery near a very expensive car. I try to avoid that. Um, the big thing is when you're using a machine. For me, I want to try to use something that I can't generate by hand. Meaning, I can't generate the revolutions of a ROOPS or a Flex or a dual action or a rotary. I, ju- I just physically can't do it. It would take me, you know, 300 days to to do what you can do in an hour with a rotary. So. Anytime a machine is involved, so specifically he's talking about a dual action polisher, I don't use it for something that isn't cutting or polishing. Now polish is the same sort of thing as cutting, it's just a smaller cut. Um, and we can play with those, you know, we can play wordsmith with that all day long. But essentially anything with, with uh, you know, a sealant, a wax, a coating, anything, I'm not really going to use a machine because I don't need to. Now the other the devil's advocate side of that is, you know, people say that it, It uh, spreads it more evenly. And I'm not going to disagree. You you know, it probably spreads it pretty good. And if your arm is totally shot, you can do it that way. So the bottom line is, yeah, you can use a machine. If if I'm answering the question, no, I don't use a machine. I like to do it by hand because I'm insane. So, Tommy, yeah, you can absolutely put um, cream wax on or just carnauba wax on by hand or machine. You can also put um, skin, which is a sealant, is my sealant, by hand or machine, it's really up to you. I use hands for both, always have, most likely always will. You're more than welcome to use machine, and it's uh, um, it's just personal preference. So, anyways, guys, shoot me an email uh, at larry at or more importantly, um, or easily, uh, it's a little bit easier for me is try to do it on Facebook um, and send me some questions, and maybe put the put the uh, the topic podcast, and I'll read it on the podcast. Um, and we'll go from there. I'm getting, I got today, I'm looking down, I got 169 emails today that I have to respond to. So I appreciate everybody being patient and I'm trying to get as, as much as I possibly can, but it is now on to almost 10 o'clock at night and I'm done with my day and I need to go spend some time with, uh, with my family, but I appreciate everything you guys are doing. I hopefully, uh, you grab some good nuggets of, uh, detailing knowledge out of this and uh, we'll talk on the next one. we we'll look forward to podcast three. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.